Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Don't Praise a Machine. Before we begin, it's it's maybe worth recognising that it's been a weird time, particularly in your part of the world, Al, in Europe, and uh, um, obviously we've been talking, as everyone has, about things that have been unfolding in recent days in Ukraine, and uh, you were visiting that part of the world very recently, and it's yeah. hard to believe how things have, have developed, and it's really unimaginable, as you said to me, that people have been put in a situation of danger and devastation and forced to make very, very difficult decisions about their own safety and their family's safety, and our thoughts are with people in that part of the world, and we are very much hoping, as I'm sure everyone is, for that situation to come to an end as soon as possible. Yeah, I was in Ukraine last year and uh, we had a great time. Mm. So it is particularly strange just thinking that those people now are in that horrible situation. Yeah. So we do hope that that comes to some sort of resolution as soon as possible. Yeah. Because the longer that drags on, the worse it's going to get. So our thoughts are with those people at the moment and maybe we'll put a few links in the show notes to ways that people can donate or contribute in some way yeah. to help the causes over there at the moment. Yeah. And with that with that said, on to the show. So, John, today is Thursday, March 3rd. Tomorrow, Friday, March mm-hmm. 4, I jump on an aeroplane and I'm going to fly to Las Palmas mm. in the Canary Islands, part of Spain, España, and I'm going to run my first marathon. It's going to be, I think it's going to be about 42 Ks and mm-hmm. I- Give or take a I few Ks. I'm, I hope I make it. I'm going to have to, I kept saying to everybody, it'll be fine, guys. I'll just fake it till I make it. And they go, that's not going to work <laughs> in this. That doesn't work. That's This is a pretty, nobody can, but it's not really a perception whether you've kept, run a marathon or my not. My friends kept, my, I, think, I think Al's a marathon runner. They kept calling me and going, Al, you're supposed to meet us for training this morning. And I was just laying on my couch eating chips, sleeping in really hungover. And I said, it'll be fine, guys. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. <laughs> yes. What do you want to uh, say about so my t- marathon? Do you want to? Tell me, have you, run, have you run a marathon in training before? I've run 33 Ks in training. So an extra 10 should be, should be fine. Uh, and at the end of the 33, are you like, um, I, was, I was pretty okay, good. Okay, actually, you start. Yeah. you start getting really, you start getting really stiff. Like that's that's the thing. Okay. I, I start. I always start off long races feeling quite loose and limber, and then the longer I run, the more my body starts to yeah seize up. So I don't know. Maybe by maybe by sort mm. of like the late thirty k's, I'll start. I'll start yeah. to, to freeze to freeze up like a 
like a yeah. like a glass of water that's been put in the freezer. <laughs> I was really grasping for an analogy. Yeah. There. Like somebody who's been hit with a freeze ray by Mr. Yeah. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I wish you well and I know that our listeners do too. I know some of them have written in telling us that they are that they are inspired. <laughs> Yeah, some of them are very inspired. Some are making the trip to Las Palmas had, uh, to be there at the finish line, which is lovely. An, yeah, um, surprising that level of commitment. Absolute torrent of emails of people saying how inspired they've been by my challenge, and that's why I started the show was mm. to inspire people. Yeah, sure. That's I think why we did number one: hold a mirror up to society. Number two: inspire. Um, particularly when it comes to challenging physical yeah. feats. As, I, I love that. Um, I love um, you. I don't know if you've noticed this, John, but anybody who spent any amount of time on social media and has noticed mm-hmm. that people who um, tend to show off their wealth on social media, aka flexing, mm. whenever they get called out for it, for, for it just being tasteless yeah. and empty, they always <laughs> say, I'm yeah. not showing off. I'm just trying to inspire people. That's always like, mm. I love how that people think it's a it's a it's a get out of jail free card. Like as if as if yeah. as if that makes it better. Like if you're showing off a Lamborghini and people are going, stop showing off all your money. It's really it's in really poor taste. And they go, I'm just trying to inspire. Mm. And I'm like, inspire inspire <laughs> what exactly? Inspire inspire a communist revolution. I'm just trying to trying to. In- <laughs> Inspire the working class to rise up and cut my head off. Come on, guys. Just I'm just trying to f- fan the flames of proletarian revolution. So that's gonna be me. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be running around Las Palmas with my little skinny matchstick legs. I hope they don't seize up too bad. Yeah. And I'm guys, be I'm good. gonna see you on the other side. Have you read a book called What I Think About When I Think About Running? No, I've read a couple of other running books. I've, uh, I've read Born to Run. Mm, I've not. What's the, mm-hmm. who's the author of the one you just spoke about? It's by Haruki Murakami, the author. Oh, my and friend, he just, um, my, my friend, my running friend, Philip, recommended this. Ah. And yeah, it's not a bad little book. It's not the most well-written book I've ever read, but it's got some quite interesting insights that come from his experiences of being a writer but also being a long distance runner and i think he evolved into a sort of super long distance runner you know like uh, a kind of super marathon ultra guy. ultra marathon runner ultra marathon yeah i'm gonna check out that that's is that john is that this week's book recommendation from john's library yeah john's book club john's book club i actually have another book related recommendation if i may okay um it's a little bit it's a little bit of a nerdy excursion, so uh, some of our cooler listeners may want to skip ahead. But <laughs> um, if anybody's listening and you've got sunglasses on and spiked up gel in your hair, maybe yeah. skip the next ten minutes. Jean, if you look on, look down, and you've got a jean jacket on, just skip ahead. And a skateboard, <clears throat> then you might want to just skip yeah. ahead when we start talking about blowing. Like just hanging out and smoking <laughs> cigarettes. That's in the next <laughs> blowing bubble gum. I've actually just by the by got a little note here about skateboarding 
because it occurred to me during the week, sometimes you see skateboarders who are, you know, around our age, and I think good luck to them, you know, if that's how you are a self-actualized person, you enjoy skateboarding, I think that's great. Um, But I do feel that most of the time when I encounter a skateboarder, I will witness them unsuccessfully attempting to do a kickflip. That's a fairly common, probably more times than not, what you will see when you see a skateboarder in action, as in not just walking down the street with their skateboard under their arm, is is them trying to do an ollie or a kickflip. Ollies, I think, are a little bit easier. So that's when you kind of use the leverage of the skateboard to to get a bit of to get off the ground, and then kickflip is when you try and sort of latitudinally rotate the skateboard. Yeah, and in terms of ratio of difficulty to outcome, I think it's probably one of the least rewarding activities because occasionally you will see somebody successfully uh, execute a kickflip. And it's quite an unremarkable thing to behold. Uh, it's just the skateboard just turns it on its axis and then they get back on. And I think that I'm sure that's exceedingly difficult. And and even once you've achieved it once, it's probably difficult to replicate. And yet it's a pretty unremarkable thing to see. So, um, So, you know, to all the skateboarders out there, Come at me. I'm, I'm asking you. Maybe, maybe it's just immensely rewarding t- to achieve it, and you don't care if it's a satisfying spectacle for the casual observer. And maybe I'm wrong to think that the value of an activity should be judged by how it looks to somebody who has no idea what it involves. Probably I am, but uh, it occurred to me that for something that was very difficult, the result was. Fairly underwhelming. What do you think? How old do you think Tony Hawk is? Um, he's still I think kick, he's, he's still kick flipping up a storm. He is still kick flicking flipping up a storm, isn't he? Um, he must be in his fifties now. Is Ooh, that overshooting well it? No, yeah, you, you, you're spot on. He well, he's he's fifty three. Mm. What does he weigh? There you go. Has he had any? What do you think he weighs? Has, what does he weigh? Um, I don't know why that's on here. Surely they'd have to. Surely they'd have to up, uh, update. This is his Wikipedia. It's got his weight for some reason. Maybe he's you connected. Get... He's connected his Tony Hawk's connected his smart scale to his Wikipedia page. <laughs> it updates. It updates after he's had a big night on the on the carbs. I can see his blood pressure. I can see <laughs> <laughs> his resting heart rate. Uh, he's seventy eight kilograms. Really. And he's six foot three. Okay. 78 kilos. That's a fair bit heavier than me, but I'm also a fair bit shorter than him. What's his nickname? Um, I think it is Tony. <laughs> Tony. Uh, Tony Pepperoni. Well done. Tony Pepperoni. The T-Bone. T-Bone Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> what is his nickname? Birdman. That was going to be my guess. Something hawk related. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. I looked at Birdman. I thought it just had something to do with air. I didn't connect it to his surname. Now, enough slagging off middle-aged skateboarders. Yeah, 
I'm just a joyless prick. <laughs> Why what? aren't you lawyers? Um, uh, <laughs> John's down at the skate park. Why aren't, you all, why aren't you all lawyers? Get a law degree and sort yourself out. <laughs> um, the book recommendation that I have for this week, in oh, addition yeah. to John's book club, what I think about when I think about running for you. Um, I was at the I was at an antique bookstore recently. It, this is quite nerdy, but I've given people the requisite content warning about that. And I picked up a book which was printed in 1823, so it's almost 200 oh, years old. This book. Wow. And it's from a collection of essays, which is, which was then over a hundred years old. So it was, people will be familiar with the Spectator magazine uh, now, which is a kind of conservative-leaning British magazine. I think it's still British-owned, and uh, and it was named after, although not directly affiliated with, a much older publication called The Spectator, which was printed in the early 1700s in the UK. And it was basically composed of each day there was an essay, which was around two and a half thousand words. Most of the essays were written by either Joseph Addison or Richard Steele. And it just occurred to me that basically what they were trying to do and what they accomplished uh, during the life of the original Spectator, which only was only ran for about three years, was eerily similar to what we're doing on Don't Praise the Machine. Uh. So to give you an example, well, to give you a few comparators, Joseph Addison, Richard Steele, they met at school. Uh, okay. And they started the the Spectator when they were both in their late 30s. And as I said, it com- it's composed principally of little, you might call them schplags, composed by one or the other of them, uh, which deal in a kind of breezy conversational manner with subjects of the day. So they talk a little bit about fashion. They talk a little bit about etiquette. They talk a little bit about uh, booze culture and nightlife. They talk, so some of the in the in the collection that I got, some of the examples were there's a dissertation on beards. There's a uh, there's a little essay about wasting time. There's one about the use that one might make of their enemies. There's one about huh. frankly acknowledging your faults. Um, and uh, one of them wrote a critique of masculinity. Uh, and the, ob- the objective was to kind of create something which was funny but maybe also just kind of an amusing over-analysis of social ephemera of the day. That's from 200 uh, years ago. That's from, yeah, well, it's, what are we, t- I've forgotten what year it is, from 300 years ago. Uh, so um, the book is from 200 years ago, but it's a reprint of a collection of these essays from the original, which was the early 1700s. And that was at a time when there were there were a lot of coffee houses in in London, which were, they were like informal gathering places for a lot of in, influential, mostly of course men, and people would congregate, share ideas. And, and the spectator is written, a lot of the pieces are written in a kind of fictional way, but from the perspective of somebody at one of these clubs talking about, like it'll begin, you know, 
the other day I was talking to Mr. So-and-so down at the coffee club and this is what we were talking about. He right. was remarking on beards. I was remarking on beards. The dissertation on beards is particularly good because it's got Yeah, have this- you got any – have you got some tips? Give me some 300 – give me some 300-year-old tips. The dissertation on beards, for example, talks about the fact that uh, one of the – one of the well, the author's friend is remarking on how he looks at these – pictures of sort of the sages of yesteryear who have these big bushy beards and this must have been at a time in British history where big beards were discouraged and he was sort of saying you know it's a shame that we don't that we can't grow big long beards because I look at these pictures and I do think those guys look pretty cool and pretty badass then it talks about a guy who believed that he had to keep his hair cropped short because the power of his beard would be lessened if hair came out of his head. Right. So the kind of growth force was was deteriorated by growing his hair long. Then it talks about the fact that, interestingly, talks about the fact that if you brought them back now, that is to say in the early 1700s, that the kind of their equivalent of kind of hipster culture, which I guess was a kind of dandy culture, would be such that people would end up paying an extravagant amount for fake beards that were unreason- that it were unreasonably long and then it talks about how e- even women might eventually get in on the act and include beards in their sort of when when they're taking in the air they might uh they might wear beards fake beards as part of their kind of you know trendy accoutrements that they take on their morning walks so i liked it i enjoyed that and it just made me think wow we're really um we're really following. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. What I've been doing the last couple of weeks, actually, mm-hmm. this is something I've been doing since I bought the microphone for the podcast. Mm-hmm. I've always loved singing, but right. I, and I always thought that I was okay at it, which is often the mistake of people who've never recorded themselves singing before. <laughs> if you th- if anybody out there that thinks they're good at singing and has never recorded their own voice and played it back to themselves, I'd encourage you to do that and have your illusion just completely shattered because mm. um, I could, I was not, a, I was, I can carry, I could carry a yeah, tune. Yeah, I, I think you're quite a good singer. Thank you. I'd, I'd say like certainly above average. I needed, I heard myself singing back and I realized that I had a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And so I started, uh, well, actually when I was in Adelaide in 2020, I took a few singing lessons, uh, which was great because that just sort of opened up my world a bit to the world of being able to improve your singing. And Mm -hmm. I, now that I have a microphone in my house, I am singing into it all the time because you can just download (laughs) karaoke songs off the internet. Yeah. And you can, and you can, you can just say to yourself, I wonder 
what I'm like at singing this song, and then mm. I'll and then I'll record myself singing it, and then play it back with a few of with a few of your traditional studio vocal effects, bit of reverb, bit of right. compression, so it actually yeah. does sound like maybe you are the the, the singer in the studio, and mm. you can really start to get a sense of whether or not you are cutting it. You've got talent. Yeah, and mm. I'm getting nothing done. I got to tell you because I'm supposed to be doing other things, and I'm just singing. <laughs> and I think everybody, I'm doing a yeah. lot of vocal. I'm doing a lot of vocal exercises from YouTube. And really? Yeah, and I think everybody in their life has had that person, that opera singer that they can hear above them or next door to them. Yeah, go, somebody's practicing singing. Well, that's me. Now, now my neighbours <laughs> are hearing a lot of la la las, a lot mm. of do a lot of do da days, a lot of me me mo ma mays, a lot of fa fa fi fi foos, a lot of fa fa fi fa foos. <laughs> so every morning, I'm doing my yoga stretches, and yeah. I'm doing my mm. and perhaps you want to know. The songs that I'm trying to sing. So you say, "I'd love to." You say, "What songs are you think trying to sing, Alex?" <laughs> <laughs> What's what songs are you trying to sing? So the first one, which is not not super difficult, but to do okay at. But mm-hmm. once you listen to the original performer of this, you realise uh, how you're streets away from being as amazing. As him, and that's Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. I'd encourage everyone. Ah, every, lovely song. I mean, yeah, you, as a as a man as well, uh, you know, you you want to start out singing songs that men sing because I've tried to. I also tried to sing. It must have been Love by Roxette. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty high. That's getting that's getting right up there. Yeah, um, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac is a really fun song to sing as well because it just goes up and up and up. It starts low. Starts on your world was on fire, goes from there, and then, mm-hmm. then kind of second bit is the go, it goes, I never dreamed that I, and then for the chorus, you have to, you have to slip into a little bit of falsetto for the no, right up mm. there. So, mm. good, it's a good ladder up, yeah, game by Chris Isaac. I'm singing a lot of, and and do you feel that any of these vocal exercises, because I've done a little bit of it. What I was curious about recently was whether I could hold a note for a sort of comparatively good amount of time or a shit amount of time compared to people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And, of course, the answer came back pretty shit. Um, Yeah. And I I think if you – and I I learned some very basic things like – catching your breath as you breathe in so sort of closing your throat as you breathe in to try and stop the air from escaping before you start the note which does add a couple of seconds to my capacity um and but is it that kind of stuff that you're learning and practicing yeah i haven't i haven't heard that particular tip it's a lot of they there is a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff about feeling where your voice Mm. is coming from so f- things like feeling uh th- you people who have done any kind of singing of vocal training will know chest voice head voice right where w- to to get a bit of a sense of where the sound is resonating more and so they 
they say things like um, in some of the exercises they talk about feeling a buzzing noise, a buzzing sensation mm. in your sinus because that's mm. where the sound is resonating for certain mm. Uh, mm. for certain notes. But one thing that my singing teacher Carla explained to me, which I had never thought of, is I think the main the main reason why my singing just was not up to snuff was mm. because. I'd never sung loud in my entire life, which probably comes comes a little bit. We might have mentioned this on the show before, but I grew up in a home with a father who loved to sleep and does love to sleep about twelve times a day. (laughs) Uh, And so, a cat dad, yeah. And so, uh, Papa Holland was asleep for about seventy five percent of the day, and so. You realize from a very young age that if you wanted to have a good time in life, yeah. you had to become essentially like a ghost and make it as mm. though you weren't. So, a lot of my, a lot of my experience with distributing my weight very carefully so as not to create any noises <laughs> came from <laughs> hanging out at your house. That's true. Because we had to sort of come in. We were always sort of fighting around in the backyard late at night. And yeah, then we'd, cu- right. we'd come in through the back screen door and we'd be like moving incredibly quietly. And probably about 70% of the time I'd fuck it up and and end up bothering one or, one or the other of your parents. Uh, sorry, Steve. Sorry, Marie. But, um, uh, but I think I got better over the course of a couple of years. You have to, um, you have to cat burglar. And I've carried that through with me into adult life where I'm just Mm. an extremely quiet man when I am (laughs) moving through. And I might've, I think I might've mentioned this to you before. I've, I've, um, I've had friend people that I've lived in, um, share houses with. Yeah. Like, like get freaked out because they're like, (laughs) they have absolutely no idea that I'm home because I've been trained to just like a ninja. Pat, pat about like a ninja. Yeah, so you just have no idea that I'm there because I know how to <laughs> not make a single sound when I'm... And they're just sitting sitting at the stove and then suddenly you whisper in their ear, <laughs> oh, that smells good. What are you making? Like, ah, fuck. Do you... Well, here's my question to you. Do you close doors by twisting the doorknob or do you just close mm. it and you let the latch click? Because this, mm. is, this is how you can pick a child that was... That grew up in a house where you weren't allowed to make noises is yeah. if anybody closes a door and just snaps the the latch versus the person who turns the doorknob and very quietly and slowly yeah. pushes the door closed and it softly goes in the frame and then you gently release the doorknob so that there's no <laughs> click. Yeah, I think one of the things that I enjoy now is being able to close doors in a sort of robust and careless manner because um i too i too was told off probably hundreds of times by my father for waking him up and uh and i have more sympathy for him now because he was just trying to bloody get to sleep early so he could go to work and i was up playing (laughs) command and conquer red alert um and uh and now it's a bit like when I leave work, when I leave the office sometimes I will pull my, sh- pull my business shirt out of my trousers and walk around just with my shirt out like bloody Angus Young or like a naughty schoolboy because... Oh, not tucked in. 
not tucked in because that was always a kind of something I would repeatedly get told off at good old St. Ignatius. They'd be like, your shirt's untucked. You've got, you get, you know, four lashes or whatever they did. And, uh, and so now it's this kind of this, I associate being sort of carefree and a bit anarchic with just looking a bit shabby and untucking my business shirt. You've, you've just Um, reminded me of something that I recalled for the first time quite uh, recently yeah, and I hadn't thought about it since it happened, and I'm wondering perhaps p- perhaps um, people that send their children to private schools in South Australia can tell me if this still happens. Because looking back on it, it seems insane, but <laughs> this happened to us in the mm. '90s. So at at Saint Ignatius, if if at lunch or recess time. So for yeah. anybody, so just for people who aren't familiar with what an Australian private Catholic school uniform looks like uh, for, mm. for young boys, in summer at St. Ignatius, you had to wear shorts. You actually, I mean, even saying this just sounds fucking mental. In, <laughs> at St. Saint, at Saint Ignatius, as part of the summer uniform, you weren't allowed to wear. This is the, this is the trauma episode. Yeah, you weren't, I think, you weren't allowed to wear long trousers either in summer maybe maybe people can can remind me friends of mine who went to school can remind me if this is true i'm pretty sure mm. this is correct you weren't allowed to wear long trousers until you were mm. in a certain grade of school you had to wear shorts pretty sure that's right because i was even in, even in winter i think you had to wear shorts with 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 high socks and then yeah. you were allowed to wear trousers when you got to year 7 <laughs> does that sound correct cuz cuz small boys couldn't wear long Trousers. Small boys weren't. This is in the nineties. Everybody. Small boys weren't allowed to wear. And maybe, maybe <laughs> the this is the nineteen nineties. To clarify, the nineteen nineties. <laughs> I think I think that is correct. That you weren't, and it was a big deal and super exciting when you got to year seven. I think you're yeah. allowed to wear long trousers. Yeah, I remember being just yeah. The priest allowed you to wear long trousers once you reached a certain age. Mm. The priest, the the Catholic priest, controlled what level. Yeah, of, this is the ninth. This, 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 this is, is the 1990s. In an, a developed nation in the <laughs> 1990s, and I was I was somewhat. I do remember this because I had to wear kind of, and still do have to wear knee high orthotics uh, because of my disability. But and I was slightly self conscious about that. But the priest said, oh. "No, no, no! You must wear. You must still wear shorts and expose." Oh. And expose your orthotics because if we allow you to uh, just wear pants, I mean, you know, bloody opening the floodgates. Who knows what could happen? We'll be, we'll be, we'll be cats and dogs living together, as Bill Murray says in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing I was I was remembering was that part of the part of the uniform uh, was that. You would wear shorts with mm. high socks. So let's say mm-hmm. in summer you always had to wear. In summer you'd be wearing as a as a child. Um, let's say under the age of thirteen at Saint Ignatius College in in summer you'd be wearing yeah. short. You'd be wearing shorts in summer, and the shorts had to have high like knee high socks, mm-hmm. and the knee high socks had to be pulled up at mm. all times. Yeah, and if you if you were 
if you went out to play, if you went out to play in for recess and lunch, like a fun recreational activity where you might want to sort of move your body physically, if yeah. you were caught with your socks down, you yeah. were told you had to go and stand against a wall mm, for that's right a period of time. Like a, a, a teacher on on yard duty would spot you with your socks down, and maybe they'd give you a warning. They might say, "Holland, socks up." And so you'd we go okay, Mister, and you pull your socks up, and then if that teacher caught you again with your socks yeah. down, they would point at a wall and say, "Now you have to go. You don't get to play at recess anymore. You have to go and stand <laughs> against the wall for yeah. five minutes as punishment, the, and then you can go and play again." Foot covering fabric has moved yeah. to a different place on your calf, and I can't and believe we all we all know how bad that is. I can't believe that happened in my in the 90s and i wonder if it still happens because i remember it was the wall of the library it was that beige cream bricked mm. um building mm. and you'd have to go and stand there as a punishment for your socks falling down it's so what, weird it what it, it just and nobody questioned it it was like yeah that's yeah that's fair enough yeah this is why i got into teaching uh <laughs> The sartorial infractions. Um, and I, I, I was, I mean, I don't want to harp on about it. They did, they did a lot for me that school. It was pretty, it was fine basically. But I also, because I walked with crutches, you know, your shirt comes out a bit more often. Than yeah. If you're just, and, and I tried to explain that to Brother Khalil, but he was not a man given to nuanced discussion so he said no i'm shirts out detention or whatever it was and it gave me this very strange perception of the adult world that was a world that was kind of inexplicably obsessed with clothing and where your where your clothing was positioned yeah which is not the real world uh i mean yes you need to look nice in certain situations but if your socks come down when you're playing and that bothers somebody, then really the onus lies with that person to explain why they're <laughs> bothered by that completely benign event. We should, this is, a, I'm genuinely interested. We have some parents out there in the DPTM audience with young kids mm. who I assume mm. are at some who will be at the same or similar Uniformed schools, yeah. Uniformed schools. Please write us in and tell us how your children are being disciplined if they're not wearing the uniform. I'd be very mm. interested to know what the rules are now around, um, you know, there was lots of rules. Once we reached um, teenage years, there was rules about, well, there were always rules about haircuts. Yeah. And there were rules about you could not have piercings. And I'm wondering now with societal shifts, how mm. those rules have changed. Um, yeah. If... They might, there must be a bit more leeway these days and there was in our time with, I mean, you'd get, yeah, you would get in trouble. You weren't allowed to have, you know, as if going through, as if going through puberty wasn't difficult enough, mm. kids who started to develop a little bit of facial hair would be told they had to shave. Yeah, that's true. You weren't allowed to grow facial hair. Your, under, your undercuts were, had to be sort of regulation undercuts. That's right. You couldn't go too high. There the were undercut. obviously rules that applied to 
women once we got to high school that yeah. were geared towards modesty. Uh, Again, you're, nobody's going to believe this is real and mm. I can't, and even saying this, I'm having to second guess myself, but uh, there was definitely at high school, there were, there was, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was brother Khalil Mm. had like shaving cream and razors in his office that he would bring out if you were <laughs> like a little bit more hirsute and needed to shave. Yeah. Can you like listen to me saying that to you? <laughs> what was the problem if you had a bit of bum fluff on your face? That's what I'd like to know. What because challenge was, it- did that pose <laughs> to your ability to learn and and be a decent human person? <laughs> This was the 1990s. Yeah. So write us in, parents with young kids at these schools. What are the, what, I'd love to hear what's going on. Write us back. Actually, you know who's going to tell me is my bloody cousins, um, mm. Sam and Henry, who are big listeners to the show and also right. went to St. Ignatius. Henners, I'm talking to you directly, write to me. He does also get in touch quite a lot. So Henners, what Ooh, were the Do I know this that, person? No, this is uh, my young cousin, Henry oh. Schultz, who okay. uh, Henry and Sam, Henry finished more recently, but uh-huh. Henry went to Henry went to San Ignatius, and oh. uh, so Henry's going to write me as soon as he hears this. He's mm. going to tell me what the rules were. I want to know if you were being shaven by a brother, Henry. Let me know <laughs> if that was happening. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good. That's a good title for schoolboy memoirs. Yeah, shaved by a brother. And I want to say um, I want. I want to just, as a little aside, so Hannah's yeah. write me and tell me what the rules were at St. Ignatius for boys and girls. Also, any etiquette rules. I want to know about if, you know, I want to know about affection between, yeah. the, between. between the students. I want to know about same-sex student, uh, same-sex mm. relationships, like taking a same-sex mm. partner to the to the formal or the prom, yeah, that as they call have, it. That would not have been, regrettably, would not have been allowed in our day, I don't think. I don't think so. Uh, so write and, us in and also any, let alone any kind of complexities around gender identity. Well, actually, I, I should also say. Sorry, I think Sadie, Sadie, my other Sadie, uh, Henna's sister, is at Saint Ignatius as well. Right. So yeah, just like all the Schultzes, whole Schultz clan. I want to email from <laughs> Angela and Tim and Sadie and Henry and Sam. <laughs> want the actually actually um, Tim, my uncle Tim. Is an ultra marathon runner, so he's oh. been he's been very helpful this week with tips. He's been sending me tips every day mm. by email. My tip my tip yesterday was cut your toenails a few days early, so that if you cut them too short, they got a few days to settle down that sensitivity. Which uh, oh did. wow, you really yeah. have to think about subtleties. Stuff. You got to think Herb, about you get everybody on the podcast tips. Everybody on a club in the club getting tips. So next week. Could be a full. It's going to be the Schultz family. Don't praise the machine. It's going to be the Schultz family and Schultz family reunion and the Saint Ignatius uniform and behavioural etiquette guide twenty twenty two.
Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's episode of Don't Raise the Machine. This is episode 49. I've been John, John, John Maloney, and as always, I've appeared with my beloved pod brother, Alexander Holland. Thanks, everybody. And if I survive the Trans-Gran Canary Marathon, then I'll see you next week. And we'll see you next week. Ah.